Welcome back to the Deer Show. You know, when I, when I was a kid, we used to joke about the government setting up a uh, Department of Redundancy Department, the United States Department of Redundancy Department. Uh, I, you know, that was typical of the alphabet agencies and the uh, some of the absurd bureaucracies that were uh, surrounding us today, of course, in universities. You know, when I started teaching at Harvard Law School, there was a dean, 35 members of the faculty, the dean had a secretary, and four of us shared a secretary, and the whole staff of the law school was, you know, 75 or something like that. Uh, today, Harvard Law School has a dean for every student virtually, and it's just administrative puffery all over the place, and, and, and so does the United States government. So now, in a tone-deaf announcement, the Department of Homeland Securities uh, has announced that it's uh, established a disinformation governance board. I mean, if um, uh, you know the people who wrote 1984 and Brave New World had thought of it, I think they would have come up with a government disinformation governance uh, board. The problem with having uh, a disinformation board is that there's going to be a lot of disinformation about the disinformation board. And that's what's happened, because we live at a time of extremism, exaggeration, and lack of credibility. And so um, Republicans and the right in general has attacked this board mercilessly um, on grounds that have nothing to do with what the board is actually doing. And the left and the Democrats are, are defending it on grounds that have nothing to do with what is actually being done, and those of us who care about truth and principle are stuck between extremist disinformation on both sides. So, so let me try to, to clarify it before I call for its total and complete and immediate abolition. Um, but let's start with what it's not. It's not Big Brother. It doesn't have enforcement powers. It's not going to come into your living room and tell you what you can say and what you can't say. It's not even going to correct disinformation online in the United States. Uh, it's not going to punish people. It's not going to oversee Twitter and, 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 and tell Elon Musk, no, he must censor uh, uh, certain, certain things. No, it's not going to do any of those things. Um, it's a a board, and it's going to issue some papers, and it's going to make some statements, and it's going to do absolutely nothing useful except worry a lot of people and make them wonder whether we're sliding down a slippery slope toward a real disinformation board with teeth, uh, such as what they have in, in Russia, China, Belarus, Cuba, and many other parts of the world. Uh, no, we're not there yet. We're not there. Uh, you're right to express concerns about it. Uh, the announcement, as I said, was completely tone deaf. We live in a world of cancel culture, and it's so easy to imagine a board setting up to help the government cancel things. And in fact, the government has been, unfortunately, cooperating with um, Facebook and, and some of the other social media in trying to rid 
the internet of disinformation. They haven't been doing it through this board. They've just been doing it uh, more generally, and that is a source of great concern, and that's why I strongly supported Elon Musk buying Twitter and hope that he will apply First Amendment standards to Twitter and censor only those things which the First Amendment would permit the government to censor. I hope he does that. I don't know whether he will or not, but uh, it certainly looks like it's going to be better than Facebook, which has set up this group of uh, platonic guardians, this bevy of unnamed guardians, some of whom have terrible track records on, on, on free speech and partisanship, to tell us what we can read on, on, on Facebook. That's a serious mistake, and it, it, it shouldn't happen. And if it happens through the government, it's much, much, much worse. Um, the claim by some Democrats uh, is that this has nothing to do with America. This only has to do with China and with Russia and with attempts to hurt the United States through disinformation, and that's why it's part of homeland uh, security and not part of health and welfare or something uh, like that. Well, if that's the case, say it. Limit it. Announce it, uh, create it, a, a new a new name for it, not disinformation, but you know, call it something that accurately describes what you claim it's supposed to uh, do. You know, we've seen this before with "Don't say gay." The, the Florida statute doesn't say "Don't say gay." It says "Don't teach you know seven and eight year old kids about the intricacies of sexuality." That's quite different, but it gives power to boards to do things that it shouldn't give them power to do. Again, both sides exaggerate, overestimate. That's why you got to listen to the Der Show. We get it right. We don't care about partisanship. We care about principles. We care about truth and accuracy. And we care about giving you the information necessary to make the decisions. By the end of the show, I hope you'll be strongly against this Bureau of Disinformation. Uh, but on the right grounds, not because you worry that it itself is going to punish people for providing disinformation. Look, there is a role for government agencies in stopping disinformation. Yeah, you heard me say it, me, First Amendment Dershowitz. There is a role for government in preventing disinformation about medicine, about doctors, about health. We empower our government to tell you that you shouldn't and can't take certain medicines that haven't been accurately tested and that the big pharma companies cannot go on television and proclaim that a pharmacological drug is going to cure X, Y, and Z when it hasn't been adequately tested. That is a proper role for government. The marketplace of ideas doesn't apply to medicine, medical technology. Now, you may say, in the end, and probably I'd be on your side on this, in the end, if all the information is given to you and you believe in snake oil, you should have the right to take it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But that doesn't tell us that the snake oil salesman should have the right to get on a television, advertise its product, and have a doctor in a white robe with a stethoscope tell you to take that snake oil product when that snake oil product will kill you, or hurt your children, or hurt your neighbors, or uh, do something else that the government has the power to try to uh, prevent. So the government does have limited power 
to prevent medical disinformation from from getting to you. But you know, call me if you think there are other things the government should have the power to stop you from saying. But certainly nothing political, um, as. Um, Chief Justice Rehnquist said the, the First Amendment knows no such thing as a false idea or a false opinion. He could have had a footnote saying, except in medicine, because it does have a concept of a false idea in, in medicine. Look, I can imagine extreme libertarians saying, no, no, let the marketplace prevail. If you don't like an ad on television that says that if you take this pill, you know, look, I, I knew an MIT professor. A real jerk, uh, but an MIT professor with tenure and, and 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 a big, who swore in front of a group of people. I was there. That uh, he said this about five or six years ago. That within two or three years, the time has passed. You're going to be able to swallow a pill at ten o'clock at night before you go to sleep, and by the time you wake up in the morning, you will be speaking French fluently. You know, that snake oil salesman from an MIT. A uh, professor, a very prominent MIT professor. So there are snake oil salesmen all over the place. But, you know, as long as he doesn't sell you the pill, as long as he says, well, you're going to be able to take a pill someday and speak, and speak French, um, let him say it and let me attack him. As long as he doesn't sue me, I'm not going to sue him. I'm just going to tell you not to take the pill. Instead, stay up until 2 or 3 in the morning reading a French uh, dictionary or a Spanish dictionary, uh, you know, learn the hard way. You're not going to take pills and learn physics. You're not going to take pills and become Albert Einstein. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I can be absolutely certain of that. Now, would I impose that approach to life on everybody else? No. If you want to believe, you don't have to go to school and you don't have to work hard. Just take a pill. It'll solve your problems. Okay. Then you can uh, agree with that absurd professor who ran a media lab at MIT and was a big shot and was, you know, lauded all over the world. He made this statement at a very prominent academic conference. I was in the audience laughing hysterically uh, when he said it, and people looked at me funny, and I said, I guarantee you, it ain't going to happen, and it ain't going to happen. There are a lot of claims of science that ain't going to happen, uh, you know, when the 19th century, there were alchemists and there were phrenologists and there were others that uh, took us on journeys that led us uh, nowhere. Some of them led to some interesting things. They were wrong. Phrenology was wrong. Obviously, the bumps on the head don't tell you about the character of the person. But phrenology was a way of introducing us to the fact that the brain is an organ and there are things in the brain, lesions and other things that influence behavior. The relationship between the brain and the mind is a very important one. Phrenology was onto something, but they were wrong about the essence of uh, what they were uh, going after. The government has a very, very limited role. It has no role at all in determining political uh, opinions, in telling you the truth uh, about politics or what's false information when it comes to politics or morality or religion, certainly. Um, I get emails every single day telling me I'm going to go to hell and, and those guys are going to heaven. I have to tell you, if those are the guys who are going to heaven, I might prefer hell. 
but uh, in any event, I, I'm not interested in the government telling me to go to heaven or go to hell or telling me how to get there or telling me which guard to believe in and not to believe in. No, the government has no role in enforcing religious views. We saw what happened during the Inquisition and other times, the Crusades, when the government tried to enforce uh, a religion and ended in, in horrible, horrible bloodshed. And you can't enforce politics. That's what happened during the Holocaust, or what happened, or racial views, uh, what happened during other horrible periods of time. So let's get the government out of the business of disinformation and truth. Let it stay in the business of limited role in preventing disinformation regarding medical treatments and things that are dangerous to health and life. And, and I'm okay with the government saying, look, we've done the research and cigarette smoking really does hurt. Uh, the 12 people from the cigarette industry who swore under oath that uh, cigarettes don't cause cancer, they were, they were wrong. Some of them were committing perjury, some of them maybe not, but they were all wrong. I'm okay with the government saying that. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's okay if um, professors all over the world, scientists, uh, do what it, by the way, comes with a lot more credibility when it comes from experts than when it does from bureaucrats. But still, I'll, I'll, I'll let the government to have a department of medical um, uh, disinformation, but not, not disinformation governance uh, board. But you folks who are on my side of this issue, who don't like this, please stop exaggerating. Stop making believe this is something it's not. Tell us what it is and then say, I worry about the slippery slope. That's a fair point to make. That's a fair point to make. But don't tell us that this disinformation governance board actually has the power to enforce certain views. It does, it does not. It's a wrong-headed, stupid idea and there are other wrong-headed, stupid ideas that are coming out of this administration in the area of free speech. And I have to tell you, if you think this is bad, wait till the current generation of college students, the kids who run the Harvard Crimson, the kids who run the Yale Daily, wait till they are in charge. Wait until their generation holds the presidency, the Supreme Court justiceships, legislative leaderships, editorships of the New York Times, senior partners in Goldman Sachs and law firms. Just wait and see what happens when cancel culture becomes American culture. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen if we don't stop it. You know, I'm hoping that there'll be a reaction that the pendulum, which swings widely in the United States, not as widely as it does in Europe, Remember, in Europe, it was always communist versus fascist, particularly in the 1920s and the 1930s. United States, the pendulum swung a little bit less widely. Now it's swinging very widely, not quite as widely as it did in the 20s and 30s, but very widely. And I'm hoping the pendulum will begin to swing backward a little, not to where the right wants to take it. I don't want to see the hard right or the hard left increase their power in America. I think they're destroying America, both of them. I don't know who to blame more. Um, uh, as a person who generally came from the more liberal side, I tend to attack the left more because they're, you know, 
more on my side. And I think conservatives, and many are, ought to be attacking the right more. Uh, the Congresswoman Greens, the, uh, the crazies on the, on, on the right who are, you know, white nationalists, white supremacists, anti-Semites, anti-immigrant, anti-black, anti-everything that's made this country great. Uh, moderate conservatives have an obligation to do what I'm doing in relation to the hard left, condemn them from a position on the left. In fact, um, one of my letters, I'll skip over and, and just turn to that letter now because it, it makes that point uh, very well when it says, it carries more weight when an old school leftist like Professor Dershowitz calls out the regressive left. That's right, but it also carries more weight when old school conservatives um, call out the regressive right. By the way, I'm never, I've never been an old school leftist. I never regarded myself as a leftist. I was always a civil libertarian, a libertarian, a liberal. Think I ever really identified myself with the left? Yeah, I wrote a book, and the subtitle was "Why I Left the Left but Couldn't Join the Right." But left in that book, I really meant kind of center left, moderate liberal. I was never an old leftist. I was always a, a, a rampant anti-communist. Always hated uh, uh, communism, and was always a capitalist, a free market capitalist. But a free market capitalist. Uh, a la Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I mean, he was, other than his horrible role in the Holocaust and, and detaining 110,000 Japanese Americans, look, I have no heroes, so let's be very clear about that. FDR is not a hero. But I generally identified with, with his politics, with John Kennedy, also another non-hero, his politics, Ted Kennedy, uh, Walter Mondale, uh, you know, pe people, people of that ilk were the politics that I followed, um, McGovern, um, um, those folks. Um, uh, the Democratic Party is not your father's Democratic Party. It's now AOC's Democratic Party. At least there is the danger that AOC is going to take over the Democratic Party. She's having enormous influence today, although she's never won an election other than in a tiny little constituency uh, in a primary where very few people voted and where when you win the Democratic, Democratic primary, you win the election. Um, so I don't know whether she could ever win a statewide election or even a citywide election. I don't think she could win a citywide election. I don't think she could win a statewide election. I know she couldn't win a nationwide election. But she has disproportionate influence within the, within the Democratic Party, and that is chasing people like me away from the Democratic Party. Uh, one of the reasons I love having the Der Show is because I'm politically homeless. I am not at home in today's Democratic Party. I like Joe Biden. I supported him. I liked Hillary Clinton. I supported her. I regard them as kind of moderate Democrats. But I could not support Liz Warren or um, any of the extremists in the in the Democratic uh, Party, and I. I can't support the current uh, Republican Party. Uh, look, I don't know. I could vote Republican. I can imagine voting Republican, depending on who, who the the choices were. I um, shortly after his election, I had a dinner, just six of us, my wife, uh, him and his wife, and another couple, uh, with Governor DeSantis, and I liked him. Uh, he was very smart. He went to Harvard. He went to Yale. He was very smart. 
I don't approve of a lot of things he's done now uh, since uh, he was elected. I think he's been trying too hard to be too much like um, President Trump. Um, but I can imagine myself voting for him if the Democratic choice were somebody I couldn't pull a lever on. I never not voted. I, I can also imagine myself not voting. It's it's possible, but I, I, I feel like I'm without a, a political home. So, so don't call me an old-fashioned leftist, uh, partisan Democrat. I'm not that. I'm not a Republican, so you can say that. But I'm not, I'm not wedded to the current Democratic Party, although I like a lot of the people uh, in it, but not, not them all and not the young ones and not the ones who are beginning to emerge with, uh, with disproportionate power. Uh, before we get to the letters, let me introduce you, for those who haven't heard yet, about my great sponsor, uh, AnthemSoftware.com. If you own a small business and need help growing it, there's really no one better than uh, software, AnthemSoftware.com. One-stop solution, helps small businesses all over America find, serve, and keep more customers profitably by providing world-class uh, CRM software and results-focused mar uh, result marketing services, your business will not only grow but dominate in this highly competitive modern world. That's AnthemSoftware.com. Every business has a song. We still don't have a song yet for this commercial. Maybe we'll come up with one. Let AnthemSoftware.com help you sing yours. Visit AnthemSoftware.com to schedule your free demo of this amazing, amazing solution. So let's turn now to letters. Lots and lots of letters. You know, when I talk about hot-button topics like abortion, um, the letters just come in. I, and I have to tell you, I can't read them. i got a pile, you know, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of them. And, and some of them quite intelligent. Not all of them, as you know, when I try to read a mix. Um, Okay, so somebody writes me a letter because I complained about what the Republicans did to Garland uh, eight months before the election, not even giving him a hearing. And, he, and this person writes, I think correctly, uh, and the Supreme Court nominee eight months before the election, you are right, but the Democrats would have done the same. I hope not. Probably they would have. I'm not sure. They haven't. The exact situation hasn't arisen. But the Republicans, what they did was inexcusable. And two wrongs don't make a right. Just because the Democrats would have done it doesn't mean that there's any justification for what the Republicans did. There is none. The Supreme Court now should have on it um, four um, nominees of Democratic presidents and five nominees of Republican presidents instead of six to three. And that makes a difference because of Chief Justice Roberts trying to create a moderate, a moderate middle. So, as I've said before, the Republican Party robbed America, uh, robbed the Democrats, robbed the Obama administration, robbed Merrick Garland. Now, he might have been voted down anyway, but at least he should have had an opportunity to appear in front of the Senate, uh, to appear in front of the committee, to appear in front of the American public, and to make the case. And we would see what the vote would ultimately, what the vote would ultimately be. Okay, next question. Professor, can you explain why you feel stare decisis should apply in Roe versus Wade, not in Brown versus School Board? Yeah, yeah. 
enormous changes occurred between 1896 or 8, whenever it was, and uh, 1954. Um, we learned from bad experiences that separate but equal, what Plessy versus Ferguson said, uh, couldn't happen. A, it wasn't happening. Uh, black schools were not equal to white schools. They were horribly underfunded. They were horribly undertaught. And they created an enormous disparity. So uh, the Supreme Court in Brown versus Board didn't even have to reach the issue and say separate but equal cannot inherently be equal. They didn't have to say that. They could have overruled Plessy by saying separate but equal hasn't created uh, equality. It's created inequality. And so we need equality now and we can't have separation because in the nearly 60 years under Plessy, um, the case for separate but equal has been disproved empirically and disproved in every other way. That isn't true of abortion. Nothing has changed in abortion. It's the dog licking the testicles test. That's all it is. They can. That's why they do it. They can. They have the votes. That's all that happened between Roe versus Board of Education and the current case. A change in votes. A change in votes. That's not enough to undo stare decisis. So yeah, I do think stare decisis should not have applied in Brown and um, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson and should apply in the Roe case. But it's a very, very good question, very thoughtful question. I hope I've given it an appropriately thoughtful answer. Okay, now here's a truthful, this is a truthful letter. Abortion is murder. That's the position. At one point in our history, this was a salient fact. Let me correct you. At no point in American history was abortion regarded as murder. Nobody was ever prosecuted for murder based on abortion. It just didn't happen. Uh, they were prosecuted for crimes. Abortion, that was a crime. But they weren't prosecuted for murder. In fact, if people really believe that the fetus at a month uh, after gestation is a, is a fully developed or righted human being protected by the Constitution, they would have indicted him for, for murder. Now, there have been murder prosecutions for the following. Let's assume you have a mother carrying a child. She wants the baby, and some man doesn't want her to have the baby, a former boyfriend or husband, kicks the woman deliberately, hoping to kill the fetus and kills the fetus. Yeah. That has been charged with uh, for murder, and that's that's right, because uh, there there was no you know, the mother wanted the child to be born, but when the mother makes a decision to abort, that's never been regarded as murder. It has been regarded as a crime, although it wasn't prosecuted very much during the colonial period. Abortion was not a big issue in the colonial period. L let me let me continue with the same tweet. There was no need to debate it. Uh, that's right, because it, it really wasn't an issue of, of great concern. The change in our collective ethos is what is now plaguing our republic. At one point, it was well understood that when a republic loses its religion, it soon fails. That's where we are. Godless nation is an oxymoron. Tell that to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson did not believe in the Christian religion uh, or the Jewish religion or any formal religion. He was a deist which means um, he believed in kind of God the watchmaker, but not God who intervenes in, in human uh, conduct. Um, 
John Adams said that at some point all Americans will be buried as Unitarians. What's a Unitarian? A Unitarian is somebody who believes in at most one God. Um, they reject the Trinity. They reject many other aspects of the Christian uh, religion. Do you know what our Constitution was called when it was enacted? It was called the Godless Constitution, because although the Declaration of Independence invoked God repeatedly, our Creator, Providence, God, all over the place, the Constitution doesn't mention God. It's a Godless Constitution. And yes, you can have a Godless country, and a country that says God belongs in the churches, God belongs in your hearts, God belongs in your homes, but God does not belong in the Supreme Court of the United States, in the halls of Congress, uh, and in other places of governance. Um, that's where we take no position on God or on religion. A country can do very well. In fact, America, with its godless constitution, has more adherence to religion than almost any other Western democracy. And, you know, Canada has the cross in its national anthem. England has an established religion. The uh, Anglican religion is the official established religion of England. You cannot be the prime minister of England unless you're an, an Anglican. Um, obviously, Disraeli, whose family was born Jewish, had to convert in order to become the prime minister because England has an established religion, but nobody goes to church. And, uh, many countries in Europe, Western countries in Europe, adhere to some brand of Christianity as an official religion, but nobody goes to church. Uh, whereas in the United States, a lot of people go to church, synagogue, and mosque, notwithstanding the fact that our Constitution is a godless Constitution. Okay, here's the next one, and then we'll have to end. You are nuts! Good beginning, okay. The Second Amendment absolutely protects the right to bear arms, and the reason is simple. It's to prevent the overreach of tyrannical government. That's just dead wrong. Read the Second Amendment. Read the amendment itself. It doesn't talk about overthrowing the government. It says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The Second Amendment is designed to protect the state from revolutionaries. That's what Shays' Rebellion, that's what all the earlier times it was designed to protect against exactly what you say the Second Amendment was designed to protect. You're just dead wrong. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with the overreach of a tyrannical government. That's for elections. You don't like them? Throw the bum out. But the purpose of the Second Amendment is to, to secure the security of a free state, to preserve the security of the free state to protect the state against the people who would try to overthrow it on the ground that it's a tyrannical regime. So you can defend the Second Amendment, and you're right, the Second Amendment does say the right to bear arms after talking about a well-regulated militia. But those of you who think that the Second Amendment was designed to help you overthrow the government, uh-uh. It was not designed to give people guns to protest Supreme Court justices and shoot bullets into their houses if they don't agree with the overruling of Roe versus Wade. That's not what the Second Amendment is all about. So please, a little bit of history, a little bit of factual analysis, and don't let your partisanship or your 
obvious desire to have guns interfere with your analysis and if your interpretation of the Constitution. Keep writing to me because these are thoughtful letters. I disagree with them, and I'm going to tell you my views on them. But uh, keep writing to me and keep, uh, keep watching the, the Dirt Show. See you tomorrow.